Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper, Kevin Kennedy, and Rich Herrera. Welcome, everybody, to America's Best Baseball Podcast. I'm Rich Herrera. That, of course, is the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. And, Kevin, breaking news as we get ready to record our podcast today, Kenley Jansen hospitalized with an irregular heartbeat, and he's going to be on the shelf for a little bit. Give us the latest. What's going on in Dodgertown? Well, uh, Kenley has had uh, this problem, you know, throughout his life. He actually had a surgery in the winter of 2012. I happened to be on the Colorado trip in 2012, and you might remember Kenley was out in the bullpen, and he was very lightheaded and felt the irregular heartbeat out there in that light air, especially in Colorado at that time. And um, he did not pitch in the ninth inning. He was getting ready to, but couldn't do it and uh, had to come in. This is the last game of the series. And so I remember him being on the bus and just uh, having his head down, sitting in the front row. Uh, I was on the same bus as we were going to the airport, and he was really the same way he was yesterday, lightheaded, not feeling good, very dangerous. I mean, he's had heart problems apparently his whole life. And so when this happened yesterday in the hotel, in Colorado, he never made it to the ballpark. They went went immediately to the hospital and, of course, uh, got him back to L.A. Now, the news that he wasn't going to close last night as the Dodgers uh, gained the lead after being down 5-3, to three, they had five home runs in the last three innings against that uh, Colorado bullpen that's been awful this year, ended up winning the ball game. But it was a safe situation, and it was Dylan Floro getting up, and it was Scott Alexander, those two guys who have been both been pitching very well, a righty and a lefty, <clears throat> excuse me, and... At the end of the day, um, we found out after the game that Kenley had actually was going back to L.A. and that this was something that they had to monitor for not just one day like they did in 2012, but for over a period of time. And we find out it's going to be at least a month, which takes us into the middle of September. So that's where it's at right now. He has had a surgery on this before. And after that, in 2012, after that winter, he really hasn't had uh, any problems that we know of since but it's something that he's had to monitor um, his whole life, and especially in the light air when he's in a place with the high altitude like Colorado. So if the Dodgers are going to be without Kenley and not have this. 0-2 to Tony Kemp. And here it comes. Swung on and missed strike three. And the Dodgers hang on to beat the Astros 3-2. to Highlight courtesy of the Dodgers radio network, Kevin. 
Um, what does the ball club do in his in his absence, and and how does this change the bullpen for the Dodgers? Is there again going to be in the thick of the things in the West? Well, number one, you don't replace Kenley Jansen. After April, middle of April, he struggled a little bit the first couple of weeks, and then he became Kenley Jansen again up until now. He's been absolutely dominant. He's been phenomenal. Throwing strikes, got the velocity up. The cutter was, has been good again. He's been throwing the two-seamer. Um, he's just been that lights-out guy that he's always been. So that's, that's a guy you can't replace, and that's the way he's been since April, about the middle of April, like I said. Now, the guys that have been good down there that, that Dave Roberts has used in high-leverage situa- situations have been Scott Alexander and Dylan Floro, who was let go by the Cincinnati Reds. And Dylan Floro has a good power fastball with a lot of sinking action, gets a lot of ground ball outs. And so Dave has been using him lately in the eighth inning a lot to get out of uh, key situations. And he's been using Scott Alexander a lot in the eighth inning because he's got the good sinker. Scott went for a period of time early in the season down to the minor leagues to get himself uh, ironed out as far as mechanics go. Rick Honeycutt saw some things, and he worked on some things in the minor leagues. When he came back, Scott was actually throwing more strikes, and not only that, he was throwing harder and still had the good sinker. So my guess, Rich, is that you're going to see a combination of guys depending on where they're at in the lineup. Now, right now, they have three more with Colorado in Colorado. So I think you're going to see what you saw last night. It's going to be Dylan Floro and Scott Alexander, the two guys that will be up late. That's, that's really the two guys that have been really effective. Um, you know, remember, they're not without, they're without guys that got hurt. Uh, Tony Singrani's been on the DL for quite a while. Josh Fields was great, but he's been on the DL for quite a while. Otherwise, I'd say you might see those two guys late in the game. And I don't really have a timetable when they might be back. So as of right now, I think you're going to see the two guys I just mentioned be the guys that uh, come up and, and pitch in the ninth inning. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be, hey, after eight innings, this inning is yours, Scott Alexander, or this is, inning is yours, Dylan Floro. I think it's going to be a, a situation of mixing and matching right now for the Dodgers, depending on, on where they're at in the lineup. And by talking about that, it tells me that uh, this isn't a, a season-ending thing for Kenley because – if he was done for the year, let's say he was an elbow or he needed to have surgery, he wasn't coming back, then you, if you're the Dodgers, you need to find your closer that you'll, that you'll use when you get into the playoffs if you get there. But for the Dodgers right now, it's let's hold down the fort, I guess, until he's ready to come back. Well, and it's a little different than last year or a lot different than last year because they had a 15-game lead by now, uh, by la- this time a year ago. I mean, they were cruising into this into September. And then they went on that tailspin for a couple of weeks where they lost, what, 16 games in a row or so. Right. And then they pulled out of it. But by that time, uh, middle of August, they had the the division one. I mean, they really did. Right now they're tied as we speak with Arizona. So I don't think, you know, Dave will use the term hold down the fort because you don't know if it's going to be a month. I mean, he's had this problem for quite a while his whole life. Kenley Jansen, you don't know if it's going to be 30 days or longer. And, And even if he does come back, you know, which cities can he pitch in? I mean, where are they going to be? Uh, there is another Colorado trip in September, by the way, and I'll be on. I'm working that trip. That's why I know it. <laughs> and that's in the first week of September. So the team does go back there. And, I, you know, at that point in time, that's about just about the 30-day mark. But I doubt that Kenley would go into a high-altitude city like that again. That's where he's had problems before a couple of times now. So, and there's no answer really out there on the 
on the market. Nobody's going to give up a huge arm. Now, Fernando Rodney was just picked up by the Oakland A's, so he cleared waivers. Guys do clear waivers. You can get a guy like that, but the A's already picked him up. Um, and I don't see any other big arms out there that teams are going to give up. Teams are trying to acquire guys like that. And with the Dodgers being in the first place in the National League West, even though they don't have the best record, Rich, if you if a guy put, gets put on waivers in the National League, um, he has to go through the lowest record of teams first, and then it gets to the teams worth the better records to, to make a claim. So just and, to remind just to remind everybody, the way waivers work at this point is. The team with the worst record in your league is offered the player that's put on waivers first, and they go into and they go in ascending order. So the worst team gets first crack at them, and then the second worst. Then the team with the best record in, let's say, the National League, if it's a National League team, uh, gets offered that player last. And once he clears everybody in the National League, then the process is repeated in the American League, and you've got to clear every team in baseball in your league and the other league before you clear waivers. Absolutely right. Well said. And I doubt that any team out there will let the Dodgers acquire another big arm. Well, if I'm, the, say- if I'm the Giants, if I'm the Diamondbacks, if I'm the Rockies, I'm going to block it. And it's happened before, Skip. Uh, I just have to tell everybody Jose Canseco has a Yankees World Series ring because the Red Sox and the Yankees were both trying to get a hold of him. Yeah, and the and the Yankees uh, uh, put a claim in because they didn't want the Red Sox in that particular year to get him. And uh, I believe that was that the 09 year. I believe it I believe was 2009. So. And Joe Torre didn't even know that he was claimed when he was asked about uh, Jose Canseco. I hey, mean, uh, Joe, where are you going to play Jose Canseco? What? It, it, exactly. He got very few at bats, and they already basically they felt good about their club. That, but that was just a block. I know. I remember uh, Kevin Towers, God rest his soul, uh, when the when the Padres uh, in 1998 were battling the Braves for that uh, division in the National League title, and then eventually the Padres went on to the uh, World Series. Kevin told me, and I had a lot of fun talking to him about it, he claimed Randy Myers, but he said, I, that's not the only lefty closer I claimed. It's not that they needed a closer. It's they didn't want the Braves or anybody else to get another pitcher like that. So he said, I claimed about six or seven left-handed pitchers comparable to Randy Myers, and he said, had they all uh, said, go ahead and take them, I would have probably gotten fired because we wouldn't have had a place to put seven pitchers on our big league roster. Oh, and that's they, awesome. First, he, he was kidding about that, but he said, yeah, that was, con- you know, not that they didn't want Randy Myers. They just didn't need him. That was completely a block. So that's uh, exactly right the way you explained it, Rich. All right, so we'll see what goes on with Kenley. And again, as, uh, as time goes on, we'll get more and more information, and that's why you need to listen to our podcast so Kevin can let you know what's going on with him. You mentioned the other big move, which is <laughs> Fernando Rodney and his arrows are going to the Oakland Athletics. Brings the ball to his belt, a look to second, and the 2-2 pitch. He got him! Strike three called, and the Twins win. Rodney sends the arrow out towards center field. Lindor strikes out looking, and the Twins win 3-2. Highlight courtesy of the Twins Radio Network. Skip, we've both been around Fernando Rodney. It is a tightrope that is underneath. uh, It's a tightrope that sits on top of a lava pit filled with sharks every time he takes the mound. But somehow, somewhere, it is always interesting. You bite your nails, but he comes through more often than not. So, Oakland, get ready for the... uh, Get ready for the the show that's going to be Fernando Rodney. He's going to have you biting your nails every time he takes them out. 
Well, what this does for Oakland after uh, the Dodgers just saw Oakland and last time we did our podcast, uh, we hadn't seen the second game yet. They came back and won the second game against the Dodgers. So in the four games they played against each other, going back to the two at Dodger Stadium in April and the two just this week, the A's did split against the Dodgers and we saw a very good Mike Fires, who they just picked up in a, in a, tw- in a trade uh, prior to the, uh, the normal uh, trade deadline on July 31st or you didn't have to go through waivers, and now you got a guy that did have to go through waivers and got cleared. And it's a good move because he doesn't have to be their closer. Blake Trinan is their closer. The guy's got an ERA of just over one. The guy's been unbelievable. He's got one of the hardest sinkers in baseball. Throws 98 miles an hour with a good slider. Um, they've got a couple of kids from the minor leagues, Trevino being one of them that pitches in the seventh inning. In fact, a lot of times what this can do down the stretch here for Bob Melvin, the manager, is not have to use Trevino for more than one inning like he's done many times this year, 16 or 17 times, I believe, he's gone more than one inning. And he did that the other day against the Dodgers and actually gave up the run that tied the game, and then Oakland came back and won it in the bottom of the eighth. So this gives a a spot where you can use Rodney there in a seventh inning. Um, You've also got Jiris Familia, who has already pitched pretty well since he's gone to Oakland. So you've got another closer there that can pitch the eighth inning, which is where he's been so far. And then you've got Blake Trinan. So you really got three closers pitching the final nine outs right there in Rodney, Familia, and Trinan. And and you've got the guy I already mentioned in Trevino. And then they've got other good pitchers as well. So they're really deep from if their starters go four innings or five innings, they've got a really deep bullpen to get the final 12 outs. Let's just put it that way. Really deep bullpen. Okay, so now that you've seen the athletics a couple times, are you a believer? Well, I believe, I, I, I said this the other day in the podcast, you have to believe when you're this deep into the season with less than 50 games to go and you've been playing this well this long and you're uh, you know overtaking Seattle and you're battling uh, still the Houston Astros for the division, let alone the wild card, you have to be a believer. I was just talking about more about playoffs. I saw so many strikeouts, but um, I do see some guys with some talent. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Lowry got a really sharp base hit uh, with run, a runner at first base and it put a first and third situation in the bottom of the eighth the other day. And then they scored that run. And I thought Chris Davis, I mentioned this the other day about Chris Davis to you on the podcast, that he had the, even though he strikes out a lot, I thought he's had a really good two strike approach. And he had a home run on two strikes in game one in that series. And they made it a three to two game. They came up short and lost that game. But he's the guy that got down 0-2 in this game, one, first and third, one out, and he fouled some really tough pitches off and then finally hits a little tapper to third base. And here's why, why putting it in play means more than strikeouts. He made Machado throw the ball to home plate on a tough play, and he threw wide of home plate. Why? Because Semyon, the runner at third base, did not give uh, Machado a lane to throw to because he ran straight down the baseline instead of, instead of running way outside. Had he done that, Machado would have had an easy play to Grandall. It was a legal play as far as base running goes. Because it doesn't have the box the way that you do or the runner's lane the way that you do down first base where um, you, you a lot of times will have that call, right? Exactly. And I thought it was really smart base running because he knew uh, he was going to be in the way because the ball was basically right on the third base line, about 10 feet, 15 feet in front of the bag on a, on a couple of hops. And it was kind of topped by Chris Davis, and Machado made a nice play, but if he threw straight to Grandal at that angle that he was at, he would have hit Semyon in the back. So he threw a little bit wide, and what Grandal did a little bit too quickly is he did the sweep tag, 
but he didn't have the ball completely. The umpire at first thought he had the ball and called the runner out, but then you saw the ball laying on the ground in front of Grandall, and that's not a bad play by Grandall because as a catcher, Rich, that's all you could do. He knew that Semyon who, run, who runs well, it's do or die, absolutely. So it was a, it was a great play by Semyon, and it was a great play by Machado and the right play by Grandall, and that turned out to be the winning run right there, and the closer – Trinan got it done in the top of the ninth, and they win a one-run game. So that's why I say putting the ball in play and having a two-strike approach is really important. And Chris Davis is a guy that's improved the latter part of this season. And I was listening to the Oakland A's broadcast, and they were even talking a little bit about that. He's not just a strikeout guy because he knows a home run is not necessary there. But putting the ball in play is necessary, and that's exactly what it did, and they won the game because of it. I want to talk about a trade that I haven't seen much press about, but I think this might be a, a trade that's going to be a big difference in the National League East, and that's the Phillies getting this guy. Dominguez the 1-1, and that's hit in the air to center field, sending Quinn back onto the track. He's at the wall. He leaps. He can't get it. We are tied on a Justin Bohr home run. How about that? Highlight courtesy of the Miami Marlins radio network, Justin Bohr, who's, you know, there's a lot of talent they had down in Miami before they started shipping everybody off. I like Justin Bohr a lot, Skip. I like him a lot, spending time down there working in Miami. I think this is a bat that could make a difference in the East. I couldn't agree with you more. I thought that was a nice pickup for the, for the Phillies. And people will say, well, they have two guys already that can play first base, Santana, of course, being one of them. But that's not just a move for the season to try to win it. That's a move for the playoffs. That's a bench guy coming off the bench in a postseason game that can give you a long fly ball, hit one out of the ballpark. That's what that move is. So it gives you depth. If he wants to start board at first base in a lot of games, he can do that. Santana has not had a good year. He gets on base. He actually walks more than he strikes out, but he's hitting the low 200s all season. He's hit a you know, fair decent amount of home runs, but not a Santana year at all. And Boris had a little bit of a down year compared to last year when he was an all-star, but he's still a guy that, you know, it's going to hit it before it's all said and done, over 20, 25 home runs this year. But I like it for depth. I think it's a great move. Now you start looking at the length of your lineup, but then as a manager, when you're thinking on the other side and you bring, you know, your lefty in, let's say, to, uh, you know, face some of the lefties in that lineup, and then you see some of the righties like a Macau Franco when he doesn't start come off the bench. And let's just say you bring a righty in to, to – to face Franco or one of the other righties off the bench and you and you want to and then you want to make a move and bring a righty in to face him well now Gabe Kapler has a move he can make not that necessarily that he would do that because Franco's had a good year I'm just giving an example of what a manager can do now he can bring Bohr off the bench and hit so now you got to decide as the other manager wow who do I want to face here Bohr or is it Franco or is it some, one of the other righties in that lineup because uh, he's got a tool now uh, a piece, a big piece that he can bring off the bench, and it makes the other manager manage differently. I just think if you look at it, this Phillies team, just like the Oakland A's, uh, it's funny because we didn't talk about them much, we didn't think about them much, but now as we're sitting here in August, these are guys that I really, I, I'm believing in right now. Well, and the other move that we have to talk about that I thought was huge, not, nothing wrong with Kingery, who Gabe Kapler thought would be Rookie of the Year. Kingery is a pretty good shortstop, but a very undisciplined hitter. He swings at a lot of bad pitches out of the zone, swings a little bit too big, although he did hit a home run against the Dodgers to right field, and I think that's one of the games they won. But uh, And they did win the season series against the Dodgers, by the way, four games to three, but we were just there on the last road trip that I was on 
where I did 11 games in a row, and I got a good chance to see those guys up close in person. And when you're working a 16-inning game, you really get a chance to see everybody they've got, Rich. So um, I got to see the depth of the ball club. I've got to see all their pitchers, and they've got some great arms in the bullpen. They've got a lot of offense as far as power goes. They've got a lot of strikeouts in that lineup. But I thought Odubel Cabrera was also a great veteran pickup to play shortstop. He's already hit a home run that helped him win a game the other day. So I think getting Bohr and Cabrera just really lengthens that ball club out and gives you two veteran guys that give you really tough at-bats. And I think Cabrera uh, really solidifies the middle of that infield because they've got a pretty good defense overall, but he gives you more offense from the shortstop position, which they were not getting. J.P. Crawford had been hurt, and then Kingery was getting a lot of starts, just wasn't swinging a bat you know, very well this year. He will in time once he becomes more disciplined, but uh, Cabrera is a pretty good professional hitter. Hey, I wanted to talk about uh, Carlos Correa coming back after being out six weeks. When you have a player that's been out as long as Correa, what do you tell him as a manager? What do you want to make sure he doesn't do? And what do you want to make sure that he does do? Well, I've always believed that you don't tell a guy to put a governor on and just stay to make sure you don't get hurt. As soon as you say that, don't run hard or don't dive for a ball. As soon as you take the baseball instincts away from a guy, that's exactly when he'll get hurt. You know, a guy will try to maybe you don't want him to slide into third. It's a, it's a play you don't need to slide. And you say, hey, you can stand up. And all of a sudden he stands up and he wants to slide and he, he gets th- thoughts in between in his head. That's when you tweak a knee or you can tear an ACL or something like that. I tell him to play hard. The only reason you get cleared to me, and this is my feelings about big league guys when I was managing Rich, is if you're 100%, and that means you can run first to third, you can score from second on a base hit, there's no problems at all with your back, uh, you're swinging just like you normally do. If you like to take a big swing on a 2-0 and pitch and you, and you uh, lock down the location and you think you want, you know, you're trying to hit a home run, then go do it. But I don't think you put a governor on anybody, let a, you know, Korea or anybody else. Otherwise, if he's not ready to do that, all the things I just said, then you don't activate him. That's the way I look at it. you got to play the same way you've always played. And players have told me there's always that point that you are thinking about your injury and then you're not back until you stop thinking about it, meaning that if you're a pitcher and you had Tommy John surgery, you're holding back a little bit, you're holding back a little bit, you're still thinking about it as you're delivering the ball, and then eventually you'll just say, I'm going to go for it. And you let it and you let it run, and if nothing happens, you go, okay, now I'm back. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit tougher, a little bit for for a pitcher with Tommy John because you know you feel pain in there sometimes, and and people that have had that injury from experience, and the doctors will tell you that's just scar tissue that has to break up because sometimes you throw a pitch and you feel like you've done something again in there, and it's nothing that you've done. You've just broken up some scar tissue that's built up in there. So that's why it's a little bit tougher for a pitcher. Although if you're coming back from a knee injury, an ACL or something like that, I mean, that's got to be the same feeling too if you're running hard first to third or trying to score from first on a double, something like that. Um, or you had a back problem. Listen, I've, I have sciatica, and I, uh, you, know, you know that, that mm-hmm. I had some back issues because of catching and some hip issues because of catching all my life. And nobody can tell me, like Correa, with a back issue that, hey, even as a young guy, that's you got to be careful, no doubt. So I don't think they would have activated him unless he was doing all the correct things from an exercise standpoint, from a baseball standpoint, to go out and just play the game the way he plays. I don't think they would have cleared him otherwise because having a back injury, 
I'm telling you, Rich, uh, I, it's probably the worst pain I've ever felt uh, when I had a herniated disc and I was in the hospital for two weeks many years ago when I was, when I was an instructor, I wasn't even playing anymore, but I heard it and heard it working out with my guys, working out with my catchers, hitting some pop-ups and I, I hit it, hit a high pop-up one day and I felt something pop in my back and a couple of weeks later I'm in the hospital laying on my back in traction. I've never felt pain like that before where you can't move. Now, Korea didn't have that. But for a young guy to have back issues, that's something you do want to monitor. There's no doubt. And I think the first time he feels something again, I think A.J. Hinch will get him out of there and maybe give him some days. And as it is, he may give him some days. He may play a, a couple in a row and then get, get a day off. You know, the Dodgers do that with Justin Turner because he's had some leg issues over the years. Not the, not the wrist, but the leg issues. That's why he sits sometimes. Just, so just a precautionary move, uh, move to make sure a guy does stay healthy all the way through September uh, and let alone October. All right, I got a couple of manager questions that I want to bring up to you. Number one is for the skipper in Seattle. How tough is this conversation? King Felix, Hall of Famer, one of the Hall of Famer to be one of the best pitchers of his generation, has been moved to the bullpen. Scott Service had to have the conversation, said, quote unquote, very difficult. I certainly respect him and everything he's done throughout his career. But these things happen, and ultimately, it's about the team. It's never easy. Hopefully, he takes it the right way. He'll get a chance to pitch some uh, at some point down there, and he can work his way back into the rotation, but we'll see. He'll let us know on that. What's that like when you've got to tell that superstar, you're out of the rotation? That's a great question. The best big league advice I ever got when I finally arrived as a manager in the big leagues, uh, as a young manager, I was younger than uh, some of my players, as a matter of fact, was from Claude Osteen. And for people that don't know Claude Osteen, this guy won over 200 games in the big leagues, a left-handed pitcher uh, that was in the championship teams with the Dodgers, especially 1965. You can look him up. But he was my pitching coach in Albuquerque, and I took him with me to Texas. And he had been a pitching coach with Philadelphia, speaking of the Phillies, uh, on some very good teams over there. And, you know, he had uh, coached, as he told me, five different Cy Young Award winners in the big leagues. So point being, he was an excellent pitching coach, but the one advice that he gave me, because he was with me a couple of years in AAA before I took him to Texas, he said, listen, Kevin, I know you can manage. I've watched you for these two years. I know you, you, that's not going to be a problem. Running a game won't be a problem. Running an offense won't be a problem for you. Running a pitching staff, I know you know how to handle a bullpen. I know you know when to take a starter out, how to handle starters, all that. He said, but the one thing you haven't done and nobody's done until they get there is handle an aging superstar in the big leagues when you got to tell him either you're no longer needed and you don't have a job or you've got to put him on the bench or you got to do exactly what you just asked me. Put a guy that started, it was a great starter his whole career, but now he's not in the top five of the rotation. you got to put him in the bullpen. Greatest advice I ever got. He was so right, Rich. And, and, and you didn't the, have this with Nolan Ryan, but I mean, listen, you're a rook. You're a kid. You're managing in the big leagues. And you've got arguably one of the greatest pitchers to ever lay some up on your staff. And you've got to tell this future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest hurlers of all time, he's got to listen to you. That's got to be a little intimidating. Well, it was. But here, when I got the job, the first thing that the owner did, and George Bush was the owner, and George said to me in the interview process, you weren't a big-name superstar. We've got a lot of star players in our club. Conseco, Nolan Ryan, Rafi Palmero, Juan Gonzalez, Pudge Rodriguez is going to be, etc." How are you going to handle him? I said, well, I want to meet Nolan one-on-one, first of all. He lives in Arlington, Texas. I live in Arlington. I want to meet Nolan one-on-one in person, which is what I did. 
and he made it really easy on me. And that's that. The first meeting I ever had was alone. We were at the stadium in a private room together for a couple of hours. And Rich, he couldn't have been nicer to me. He said, "Hey, I'll do whatever you need. I won't be a problem. Don't don't worry about me. If you need to take me out of a game, you think I'm done? Take me out. You know, I'm not going to be one of those guys to show you up." And so he made it so easy for me. But all that being said, I remember in 1993, which was his last year and the year I'm talking about, my first year, we had a special event for him in Arlington, Texas. It was September, I think it was September the 12th, if I remember correctly. One of his last starts of his career, we finished on the road that year, so it was one of his last starts in Arlington. And Roger Clemens was invited and Koufax was invited. He wanted uh, you know, guys from Texas like Clemens, but he wanted Koufax to come because that was his idol. Right. And so, and so I was friends with Koufax. He was helping us in the organization anyway. I, I'd already asked him. And so Sandy flew in for the event. Gaylord Perry was there. A lot of his contemporaries, when, when he pitched or when he was younger, were there. A lot of people. So after the game, there was going to be a big celebration on the field for him. Well, we're playing the Twins that day, and Kirby Puckett, of course, was in his prime. And no one is just getting knocked around in a third inning, second, third inning. And finally... In the fifth inning, I mean, it was getting bad. I think I let him go past five, but we were he was getting knocked around. And finally, I just I had to take him out. I didn't want to in front of his friends and family and the big crowd we had. But he just was didn't have it that day. Now, he had great games after that. It wasn't his last game, but um, it was a big event. And we had a big party in uh, in Fort Worth that night, night at a huge country western place with a lot of uh, singers, country western singers that Nolan knew that were there for him, etc., um, and it was, uh, really tough for me to take him out. So I finally took him out. He took it. No problem. He understood. Um, I know we lost the game. I can't remember the score. I'd have to look it up, but I know that he just wasn't pitching well. And so we went to the party afterwards and I'm with Sandy Koufax. I drove Sandy in my car there and I told Sandy all the way there and Arlington to Fort Worth is about 20 miles away right. or so. And so I'm driving, and I said, man, that was tough today, Sandy. I didn't know what to do. He said, hey, Kevin, you did what you had to do. You know, if a guy's not pitching well, no matter who's there for him, you got you to gotta manage the game to win because you guys were still in the pennant race, which we were with the White Sox. We finished second. Got to the party. Everybody loosened up. Uh, you know, I had a couple of cocktails, of course. It was a huge event at, uh, what was the play, Billy Bob's? I can't remember the name, Country Western, but famous place in, uh, in Fort Worth. I okay. can't remember the name. Anyway, huge place, huge place. You can get lost. Billy in that Bob's place. is a big place there, but it was a private uh, event, right? You know, so it was just guests being invited. It wasn't, you know, for everybody. And finally, uh, Nolan Ryan's wife came up to me, and I went, "Oh no!" And oh, she goes, "You're going to get it." Oh man, Rich, I said, I said, Mrs. Ryan, I said, she didn't, she, you know, she said to me, Kevin, I'm really a little bit upset at you, and I said, I figured you probably would be. I understand. I said, I had to do it. I. I I couldn't let him get beat up out there anymore. She goes, no, I'm not mad that you took him out. I'm mad that you waited so long. He was awful today. <laughs> True story. True story oh. as I sit here. True story. And so um, I fortunately had an easy time in Texas because of Nolan Ryan. But that was the one guy that I did worry about throughout the whole season when I had to take him out of a game. And, and uh, that was the only time that there was a real – controversy in my mind let's put it that way that's amazing you know my... I, had, I had times one more quick one with yeah. Clemens I had times in Boston where what I did with Roger because he was still in his prime is that I would start talking to him in the fifth sixth inning I said how are you feeling I really would make sure that he and I not my pitching coach he and I had communication he would say 
sometimes he'd say, hey, who do we have up behind me in the eighth inning? I would tell him, he'd go, ah, right, let me go out there. I don't want him to blow the game. <laughs> and other times he would say, Kevin, I know I can get that first guy, that first righty. He said, but you better you know, have a couple guys up behind me after that. And so we had really good communication. So even Roger made it easy too, because we had, you know, this great communication going on, which is what you have to do in today's game. Everybody says today's managers have to communicate. Listen, in my day, in the nineties, we had to communicate. And back before that, you have to communicate no matter what. I've seen the Ryan Express throw a number of times in person. Not like you having them on, on your roster. But you know the one thing that that still will stand out and I'll tell people about when they ask about Nolan Ryan isn't what he did on the mound. It's what I saw him do after the game. I saw him pitch in Oakland once, and this is something you probably saw every day. Uh, I was standing there. I just got done talking to Art Howe, who was the manager of the A's, and it was time for me to start the post-game shows about 20 minutes after the game because Bill King would do uh, the highlights, and, and he did a full extensive highlight package. So I got to stay down there in the clubhouse a little bit longer. I had about 20, 25 minutes before I started the post-game show. Everybody else is already dressed. They've got wet hair because they're out of the shower. They're already out the door. Right. I bumped right. into face to face Nolan Ryan. And this is after one of his starts. Everybody else is leaving the ballpark, going to dinner, going to do whatever they were. Nolan Ryan is in his workout gear going to the going to the exercise room to work out after his start. And I thought, my God, I think that's the only pitcher I've ever seen do that workout afterwards. And he was Nolan Ryan. He was the express and he was working harder that day than he did when he broke in, when he had a, a lightning bolt for an arm. Well, that's true of all the great pitchers and really a lot of players. Even my days in Montreal, I, I saw that Gary Carter who was, was retiring that year. Uh, Tim Wallach, a lot of the regulars, they would work out and do the weights after the game, which, you know, you didn't see that in the minor leagues because we didn't have that type of situation in the minor leagues. Uh, now a lot of clubs do, but you didn't have weight rooms like that to, to do that. And I saw all the great guys do that. Uh, Roger Clemens to, you know, in Boston, we didn't have a weight room like you did in Texas. But Texas, especially the new ballpark, had a beautiful uh, weight room, which Ryan Nolan didn't get a chance to uh, pitch under because he pitched in the old ballpark. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me because he was getting ready. That game was over, and he was getting ready for the next start, the next five days. And that's just the way all the great players were and, and still are today. The great, the great ones, the ones that want to be the best every five days, that's what you have to do. Uh, Clayton Kershaw does things like that. So that's, that's a good story, I, I, Rick. I, know I love keep, that. I know we keep talking about getting um, guests on the podcast I just like, like like talking baseball with you, and I hope everybody likes listening. But there's another guy that we need to get on the podcast. We need to see if we can get Nolan to come on and just tell some stories with you. Oh, I, I think that uh, I think that he would absolutely. And by the way, I, I've said Mrs. Ryan. I finally did call her Ruth. Uh, that's her, that's <laughs> her name, Ruth Ryan. <laughs> I'm going to call him Mr. And, Ryan. So <laughs> yeah, and she's and she's got to be proud that uh, Reed Ryan is running. Uh, he's the president. Oh, of the, he's a good uh, dude. He's a good he's guy. A great, He's a great young man, and he was pitching in the minor leagues when I was managing, so I've known him a long time. And, of course, Nolan is there helping the Astros as an assistant after his ownership uh, ended uh, not in a great way, not on his own. Well, he went out on his own terms. Let's just put it that way. In but, Texas. Uh, yeah, he had some power taken away from him. All he did was lead the club to two World Series, and then he had a little bit of his – um, baseball expertise taken away from him and, and uh, that he wasn't going to accept that. And he resigned out of his own 
own doing because uh, he was a baseball guy and he's the one that put that club together and he wanted to be involved in that and they weren't going to let him have the final say anymore on that and that's a shame uh he should still be with the rangers but he's from the houston area and he's back there with his son and so is roger clemens as a matter of fact and that's why i said last year um yes the astros go by analytics and sabermetrics but remember they have a lot of eyes up there that went by the eye test including the guys I just mentioned that also have a lot of input. And I also give Brent Strom a lot of credit, too. 70-year-old pitcher that uh, understands both sides of it, old school and new school. Speaking of eyes, this weekend is players whatever weekend where the players wear the jerseys when they get to put their names in the back of whatever they want. I, I hate it. I absolutely oh, hate it. Oh, you mean it. the nicknames? Yeah, I hate yeah, I, I, I hate this. I know it's another promotion. It's another marketing tool Ugh. in baseball, and I, I get all that, but I'm not – I'm with you. I, I'm with you, Rich. I'm, I'm not I, – I have a pet peeve about some of these things. You know a real pet peeve of mine? What's that? And I know is guys today, you know, when you see them on the field um, – we don't take infield anymore. That's a little bit of a pet peeve, especially teams that are really bad defensively and, and <laughs> miss cutoff men. Right. I mean, they don't they don't take infield even in the daytime early. I mean, the Twins used to do it early under Ron Gardenhire, sometimes at three in the afternoon. I remember Tom Kelly. Yeah, uh, when TC he started the Twins, that, he made he made everybody take infield. He made the pitchers all come out and and play pepper and hit balls to the outfielders and things like that. Everybody had to be on the field, and I thought, what a great team concept it was. And I think it gets guys ready because if you take batting practice as much as you do, and who was it the other day in Major League Baseball that thinks that I read this? Um, I think it was Joe Durardi. I heard this. I think it was Joe Durardi that says, yeah, it was Joe. He thinks that all these injuries, uh, these oblique injuries are because guys are swinging too much. He said, I think guys are taking too much batting practice because they're hitting in cages underneath early. Uh, I know Mo Vaughn used to hit at home before he'd come to the ballpark. And yeah. he had a batting cage at home. A lot of guys do that. They have batting cages at their own house if, they ha- if they're playing at home. Then they come to the ballpark early and hit. They have early and they BP. Then they, they have early BP. And then, then, they they have hit, BP. then they hit in the cage. Then they have BP. Then they hit in the cages afterwards sometimes. Yeah, and, and I thought, you know what, that's the first time I heard any you know former player, former manager say that. But I thought, I thought Joe Girardi made a good point. And I'm sure it was Joe. I'm, I'm really sure it was Joe. As well, I there's times, it. and we're going to talk about Joe Madden here in just a second, but there was times where Joe Madden would say, don't, no batting practice, don't come early, game starts at 7.05, I want you here at 6.30. Speaking of the Oakland A's, do you remember in the 70s when Dick Williams would say, I think it was the last game of uh, one of the World Series, if not a couple of them. They won three in a row. I think right. it was the one against the Dodgers in 74 where he said, no batting practice today. Yeah. And they go out there and play game five, and they didn't need batting practice. And I, I can't remember the 72 or 73 if one of them went seven games. But I remember he said, no batting practice. And I remember the media went crazy. made a huge deal out of that. And here I'm a kid playing in uh, San Diego State, you know, as a freshman at that time. And I remember reading that, of course, and hearing that on a radio and hearing it on TV. And I'm going, man, they're not taking batting practice. Wow. And all they did was go out and, you know, kick tail and win the game. So um, sometimes it's a little bit overrated. But I do believe in, you know, practicing and technique and all that. But overdoing it so much that you create an injury, an oblique problem or a strain of some kind, a lower back strain or whatever – I think Joe Girardi might have something there, yeah. I, I absolutely do. And, and we go back to these uniforms, dislike them, dislike them, dislike them. If you've worked your entire life to get a big league uniform, why do I want to put that nonsense on? 
Max, absolutely. And well, that's why um, some people believe, you know, when you're taking batting practice and the gates open, that you should have your, you know, jerseys on or some type of jersey on with your names on them. But a lot of teams don't these days. I have a thing about managers, too. Going out to the mound, they don't have, you know, Dave <laughs> Roberts does. Dave Roberts wears his uniform, right. and you know it's Dave, but I, he's the only one I can think Terry, of. Terry, I, don't, I don't think Terry Francona might Terry Francona might not have a uniform top because he, all he, wears, he wears a sweatshirt every day. I saw that Alex Cora the other night on TV in the national game against the Yankees. He didn't have a uniform top on. It was a, some kind of a... Um, a, a sweat top of some yeah, type. a warm up jacket. I don't understand why MLB does that and allows it. Well, no, it's I, a, it's a, it's against the rules. So Tito, somebody called Tito out a couple of years ago, and uh, he had I to remember run, he that. had to run back in and put on a jersey because he would always wear the cutoff sweatshirt. Yeah, and Mike Sosha wears that uh, that that same type of thing, and um, and nobody says anything anymore on certain rules. I think it's just for the pride of the game. You know, I know. In today's life, everything is here and now and quick, and everybody uh, gonna do what they want, and uh, you know we have to have our safe space and all this kind of stuff. But I just think for the pride of the league and the pride of the game is just maintain some of that, please. There's decorum. You know? There's 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 traditions yeah. in this game that I love. Oh, there's speaking uniform, of that, there's a uniform for a reason, and I like you. You said it best, Rich. First time I got to the big leagues, and I still have all my uniforms that I in the minor leagues and big leagues, professional baseball. I have all my uniform tops because of that. Because you're proud of that. Okay, so let me ask you this: So I've got a 17 year old son in high school. Your mm-hmm. nephew is how old? He's 10. Okay, so these are the two guys that Major League Baseball is trying to make sure that they they make fans out of, right? Right. Do you think your nephew at 10? is going to fall in love with baseball even more, or he's going to get hooked on baseball even more because they're wearing these goofy uniforms with stupid names in the back this weekend? No. Uh-uh. No. Um, no. 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 As a matter of fact, I could tell you, um, because the games are so long, um, he can't even stay up and watch the games that are 7 o'clock starts. He right. can't even stay up and watch them all, and he gets he gets bored watching the strikeouts. He's told me that. Yeah. My and son is not. He's a fast runner, and he likes to put the ball in play. And I'm teaching him how to, you know, swing and and get through the ball and drive the ball a little bit as well. But he says, "God, the game's boring." You know, when it's it, so it is so okay. So I asked the commissioner this. I asked the commissioner this last year because they have the big um, uh, play ball initiative, and the Little League World Series was going on. They'll send teams over to Williamsport to play an exhibition game and then or a regular yeah. season game, all the rest of that. So that's 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 fine. By the way, I hate the Little League World Series. I hate that all the games are on television. I hate all of that because I think all that does, it, it encourages more travel ball. It encourages more elitism in baseball. It yeah. becomes more of a pecking order of how much money you have and how much your bat's going to cost. And I, I hate everything about travel ball there is. And I think everybody that's involved in it has their priorities wrong. But I asked the commissioner this, Kevin. I said, that's great, but what are you going to do to create fans of the kids that aren't at the Little League World Series, that aren't asked to play on a travel ball team, that aren't going to be in a, on those elite showcase camps? Because those are the guys that are going to be the, the season ticket holders. And if right. I chase them away right. at the age of 10 because they're not on a travel team, how do you expect them to be baseball fans uh, when they're 18, 19, 20 years of age when baseball ran out on them when they were nine? Well, I, I think the commissioner knows that there's some issues with what, the way the game's being played today with the defenses and all that. And, you know, it's 
it's not necessarily against the shift, but when you see guys in right field, like by 40 feet uh, in front of the right fielder, I mean, basically, I mean, you can't do that in football. You can't have eight wide receivers. And oh, I, can, I can have an unbalanced line. You know what I mean? I, no, I, mean, I but, can do that in football. I can have an unbalanced line. I could put all my linemen on one side. I, you can, I can do that, but you can't have eight eligible receivers is what I'm right. saying. But against uh, the shift, you know what? Hit the ball the other way. Yeah, well, that's what Chase Utley's done. You know, Chase is on the DL right now. In fact, I, I was gonna, I wanted to but, do this on a podcast. I saw ESPN wrote this article, Why Do Hitters Have So Much Trouble Against the Shift? And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Uh, one of the things they talked about, Kevin, and it, it just perplexed me that anybody would even throw this. You know, the part of the shift that makes it difficult is p- the pitchers throw into the shift, meaning that if 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 I don't want the guy to go the other way, I'm not going to throw the ball on that part of the plate, and I'm going to pitch to where my defenders are. And they thought they this article talked about like this was the, they just discovered uh, the the cure for for a disease. They thought it was such well, a grand idea. That's funny you say that because when Rick Monday and I work together, so many times we see a major shift on, and there's one guy on the left side of the field, maybe the shortstop, and the pitchers are pitching on the outside corner to left-handed batters, and yet the guys are still trying to pull it. Now, I will say this. The reason Jock Peterson's better right now and Cody Bellinger is better right now is because they're using the field. They're taking base you hits the opposite the field. field. All right, so you, can't, me... you can't shift on guys like that all the time anymore. Okay, so let's say it's a classic left-handed hitter, David Ortiz, right? Yeah. And that's really where Joe Madden went above and beyond of the shift against David Ortiz. Then it came into play, right? Right. So if I'm up there pitching, and I'm Clayton Kershaw against David Ortiz, I have the shift going, okay? And we know Clayton Kershaw can, can do everything on the mound. And he keeps pounding David Ortiz in the inside because he certainly doesn't want to leave it on the outside of the plate, so he takes it the other way. What's David Ortiz supposed to do to beat the shift? Well, he's going to hit the ball to the ballpark because eventually you're going to make a mistake in there. You know that The thing about that with a guy like David Ortiz is that he could hit the ball to left center if you pitched him away because he's on the plate. And that Mo Vaughn was the same way. The reason Mo Vaughn had plate coverage is his back foot was right on the plate. And if you pitched him away, that's like down the middle to those guys. So you had to pound him in or off the plate away if you had good movement, you know, like, like Kershaw, you know, can do sometimes. So do I have to wait for a mistake over the plate and then try to take it back up the middle? No, no. David Ortiz wouldn't do that. David Ortiz would, if when he saw a mistake, he hit out of the ballpark. Right. But I had, mean, if, if it, coverage. but the reason I played, I, I picked Clayton Kershaw because he's got great command and he keeps pounding you on the inside. What do you do as a hitter? Well, if he, if he's hitting his spot for strikes as a hitter, you either back off the plate so you can reach it, or if you're okay. quick enough, you turn on it and keep your hands inside the ball and hit it out of the ballpark. I think it's dangerous to keep going inside on guys because... But even if, guys, if I have the shift on, I have to keep going inside, right? No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because what do I do? A lot of the shift is being put on because guys roll over intentionally. Like gotcha. Jack, Jack okay. Peterson will roll over a sinker away, used to. A sinker away, especially oh, early, early okay, in the count. Okay. So he's not trying to, to hit the ball to left field. He wants to hit home runs. He did. He wanted to. Now he's changed. If you pitch Jock Peterson away, he's going to take you away. What did he do yesterday? Pinch hit. They pitched him away. He hit a home run to left field to, to what, tie the game or put the Dodgers ahead. He hit one of the five home runs, and so did Max Muncy, by the way, to left field in Colorado because they've made adjustments now. 
that's the one thing that hitters have to do is, like you said, make adjustments. So you don't just because the shift is on on the left-handed hitter and you got the pull side guys on three guys on the right side doesn't mean you pitch him in. It means that guy hasn't adjusted yet, and he's still going to try to pull the ball no matter what. Now, if I'm Dylan Floro and I've got a great sinker away, and I got a you know a Justin Bohr type, a really pull hitter type guy, or a David Ortiz, then I'm going to try to throw that sinker away and let him go ahead and try to pull it. And the ball moves off the end of his bat, hits it on the tail of the bat, end of the bat, and rolls it over to the right side. That's what they're trying to do. So that's. Mm. But but what bothers me is when I see. The shift on like a left-handed hitter like that, and I see four-seam fastballs away. Oh, that's what bothers me. And we'll say, well, he's pitching against a shift because that's a pitch that you can't pull anyway. Guy throws ninety-eight, right? And yet you're pitching him away, and you and he's going to go over there where there's a big hole where the shortstop once he's was. He's going to take the base hit the other way, and that's what Chase Utley showed us two years ago when he became a Dodger. That and when they put the shift on him, everybody thought he was still a pull hitter, but he said, well, they're not giving me balls I can even pull, so I'm going to take that four-seamer away and take the base hit opposite field because he could still steal bases anyway, and that's exactly what he did. And I think Peterson now has adjusted to do that. Bellinger at times will do that now, um, and there have been better hitters because of it. Look at all that I learned today on this podcast. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what we're here for, Rich. That's what we're here for. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget you can check out The Skipper. Kevin Kennedy, MLB on Twitter. My Twitter handle is RBI Rich. Skip, we'll do it again next week. You got it, Rich. Great stuff. All right. Thanks, everybody. This is America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.